it is often looked at in our industry as kind of the least desirable part of the industry. And there's some, and there's some reasons to that. Real estate is a byproduct of human nature and what humans are doing and how they're doing. It. There is record amounts of liquidity heading into these asset classes. And the way a lot of the big investors work is, you know, once they've kind of made a decision and allocation to something, they don't just change that tomorrow. That, that lasts for years. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Ben Samuels, and this is another episode of Coffee and Liquidity, the podcast that sits nicely at the intersection of curiosity and business. The American dream can mean so many different things to so many different people. There's no one right answer. There's no one right path forward. But let's talk about ways to set yourself up and your family up for financial freedom in the future. All right, so we are back in the saddle with another episode of Coffee and Liquidity. I have a fantastic guest. A lot of you may be familiar with Chris. Uh, Chris Powers at uh, Fort Capital out of Fort Worth. Looking forward to uh, picking his brain a little bit. For those that uh, that have been following, you'll know that uh, Chris is an absolute just wealth of information. You know, I, I've told some people recently, Chris, that being on Twitter and being active, especially in the real estate Twitter world, it, it, it sometimes just feels like a cheat code. You know, the amount of information that's available and the people that are in those conversations, it, it's, it's a fantastic community. I'm curious, you know, if you echo those sentiments, but how long have you been maybe involved in that, in, in the, the Twitter sphere of real estate? And, and, and if you've been around for a while, how does, it, how has that sort of evolved? What is that, you know, what is the Twitter, you know, in your world, what, what does that mean to your business and, and kind of how you, what are you thought, what are your thoughts there? Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on Ben. I'm excited to do it. Regarding Twitter, I probably got on Twitter. I, I had an account since I was, you know, since like 2009, but I never really used it until 2000, kind of end of 2017, early 2018. And even then it was just kind of dabbling and uh, ultimately, what's happened is is remarkable, and I think it's where the world is headed. Um, there's there's these online communities, and so Retweet is real estate Twitter, and it people that ask me about it that aren't on Twitter, it's not something you sign up for. It's not like you know you you log into it. It's just this community of people that I think Twitter does a good job of kind of keeping together. And we share lots of ideas and, and we happen to share around a common idea, which is real estate. And really what's happened over the last three years is pretty remarkable. There's hundreds of people now that kind of participate in this ongoing conversation. You know, I would say there's probably some leaders within that, just like in any community. And I've been fortunate, um, I think, to, to probably be one of those people. And it's it's uh, I've made a ton of good friends, like genuinely good friends. I've learned a ton. You know, personally, I get a lot of joy out of sharing some of the things that I've learned. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's a great way to kind of, uh, you know, pay it forward. And ultimately, um, it, you know, for business, it's done remarkable things to help us kind of grow our business, expand our brand and our network. And so, you know, I think it's just a glimpse into the future of kind of how these online communities will kind of set up. And, you know, even though a lot of us are all around the country and, and never really met each other in person, there's this level of kind of trust that is kind of baked into the community, you know, that creates a lot of value. And, um, you know, there's some names that you probably know of in the community, but, but overall, it's been a huge impact uh, on my life, mostly positive. 
you know, the, the only negatives to Twitter are it can become addicting. You know, at times it can become a little volatile, but in general, it's been a huge positive experience and uh, I've been, you know, really fortunate to be a part of it. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, I know that uh, uh, Fort Capital, I believe, has been around since since about 2015. I'd love for you to tell a little bit of the story. Uh, you know, I was reading uh, in preparation for today, was reading the investor letter that you guys put out in early 2020. that was talking about sort of uh, your, some of those core values and the story there. Um, you know, I, I was struck by one of the things that, that uh, you know, that I think that you speak really well to and would love to hear your thoughts on is, you know, finding finding the niche and becoming the subject matter expert and finding something that you can model and leaning into that. I think one of the things today is, especially on Twitter, but, but you know, just across the real estate space, there seems to be this, maybe this kind of notion of, oh, you know, I, I want to be in self-storage. I want to be in class B. I want to be in commercial. I want to be in residential because there's so much opportunity and so much money to be made. But I think there's so much value to having a very concise thesis and staying in, in that lane and becoming the expert. And, and you talk about, you know, what, what it was like to sort of be it sounded like beyond ahead, very ahead of that curve in that time frame in that 2015, but being able to you know, sort of see the writing on the wall and see where the market was going has put you guys in, in a good position now. I'm curious if you can kind of just talk me through what it was like to form that thesis on you know on the front end and you know, what, what maybe your projection for the you know for the near future may be in, in that space and talk to us a little bit about just this class B at, at, you know, in a macro sense. Yeah. So I would just preface before I talk about class B, you know, you hit on a, a topic that I'm passionate about, um, which is kind of the focus thing. And, I, and I'd start by saying, like, naturally, I'm not a, a very focused person. You know, I think a lot of entrepreneurs kind of share that in nature. You know, they love big ideas. They love executing on things. And when you're really good and focused on something, it actually can kind of become quite boring. And not because it is boring, but because when you've really gotten good at something, it can kind of seem redundant. You don't have to work as hard to achieve, you know, larger results, you know. Um, so I'd start by saying that. And then I would just start by saying, you know, when you are focused on something, I think the best way to analogize it is in business, people get a little more of a cheat code uh, or a little more of a pass on not being focused. But when, when you think of like a professional athlete, you don't ever meet somebody at the top of their game that plays, you know, LeBron James doesn't play football and baseball and basketball. He plays basketball and he, and everything he does in that basketball world, he puts a ton of, you know, attention and focus on same with Tiger Woods or, or anybody. So in business, we often kind of, you know, think that, you know, you can be in lots of businesses and it's cool to be a business guy. But when you really even look inside business and you see the people that are at the top of their game in the best, they, they're usually very hyper-focused, or at least the origins of where they started were hyper-focused, and they mm -hmm. kind of used that to build a platform that allowed them to kind of do other things. So um, that was kind of the impetus for wanting to focus on something was just this idea that to be great at anything, the more energy you could channel into one thing, the more the more likelihood you had of becoming successful in something. And so Class B Industrial for us... Um, was something that we could really rally around and become competent in. And, you know, at, at the highest level, the things that mattered were, um, you know, I, I say it kind of often, real estate is a byproduct of human nature and what humans are doing and how they're doing it. So, you know, you know, homes on the coast will always be great as long as people want to go to the beach. As soon as going to the beach does not become a thing humans want to do, 
property values for beach homes are probably going to plummet. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with, you know, uh, an office building or whatever. People enjoy running their businesses out of an office building. People show up to an office building. I know that's kind of a weird thing to say in today's world, but I still believe that's true as well. But again, you know, then you look at like a, a mall and you just say, you know, malls are kind of dead now. And the truth is people are not going to the mall as much anymore. That's why there's no, there's, there's a, wasn't some magic spell that was placed on, over shopping malls. Um, so with industrial, we looked at the world and we just said, is the world going to need these buildings more or less in the future and why? And it was one of the only asset classes that when you're writing a list of, of things about, um, it just kept uh, appearing to me like we're going to need these way more in the future, not less, but but significantly more. And then we just said, OK, well, who, who's doing this stuff? And um, we, we realized was not as many people were really focused on this right now. At, at the time, there were other asset classes in favor. We said, um, you know, do we want to develop or do we not want to develop? Okay, we don't want to develop. So are there other people developing what we're buying? AKA, is there new supply coming on board? You know, you, you mentioned that, that you have a, um, a midstream business in the Permian. If you were the only midstream business in the Permian, it'd probably be the greatest thing ever. Everybody would need you. Um, if there's more companies showing up, you have more of a competition. Mm-hmm. In Class B industrial, you can't rebuild this stuff. So our, our competition is already built. We can identify who it is, and we're not worried about the next project to get built. Whereas in like housing or multifamily, you know, often a new project is only the new project until the next one comes online. So, and then we just said, you know, this, this world of e-commerce is growing. And as we sit here today, Ben, um, only 17% of, of sales in America happen online. 83% still happen brick and mortar. I know we think of it as almost everything's online now. The truth yeah. is it's, it's still really early. And then I think the last thing, and, and again, I can go on a soapbox about what I think about Class B Industrial. Before that, um, sometimes in life, you want to know what you don't like and what you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. And I got a great taste of that early in my career. I was a developer developing urban infill projects, which can sometimes be some of the most complicated to develop. And it was just brutal. It was hard. You know, I didn't feel like the juice is worth the squeeze. And one of the things about industrial that we like was it's really easy to manage and really easy to understand. And there's not a lot of crazy risks that are out of your control. So you kind of take all that in and we just said, okay, we have something we can focus on. We can spend all of our energy learning about it. When we're recruiting people, people can show up to our office and they know what they're going to be working on and getting better at. When we're raising capital, People don't have to wonder if, you know, we're going to raise capital for this one day and then be focused on something totally different the next day. It's just kind of all these little things layer in. When we're borrowing from banks, banks don't have to worry about giving us a loan and that, you know, we'll be focused on industrial one day, but maybe retail the next. Just in every aspect and all the stakeholders involved, they know that when they deal with us, we're focused on one thing, which often means we're just getting a little bit better every single day at that one thing. You you touched on property management. Uh, you know, I know that you guys made the, uh, the operational decision to bring that in house uh, with you know here within the last year and a half or so. Curious if you can talk to me a little bit about that and, and what that was like to onboard you know that that silo of the business and, and introduce that efficiency into the process and sort of what what drove that decision making process. Yeah. I think property management, um, and, 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 and sometimes rightly so, and, and I kind of fell in this camp, 
uh, it is often looked at in our industry as kind of the least desirable part of the industry. And there's some, and there's some reasons to that. Mm -hmm. It's often that the spot, it's like customer service at another type of business. You're usually, the interactions are not these, nobody, the joke is nobody calls their property manager often to tell them how much they love them and thank them. It's usually when something's going wrong or something's off. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of have to have thick skin to be in it. It's traditionally been a low margin business. Um, but as we sit here today, I would tell you, uh, and, and if we care to talk about it, we can. But at a high level, I believe it's it's actually the I think if you've been in the industry a long time and uh, you are an owner of buildings, you know that it is one of the most important parts of the business. So while it might be the least desirable for some uh, in the past, it is the most important part of the business in many respects. Um, For us, it was, again, because it's been a low margin business, we just said uh, we want to get to a certain scale within our portfolio that when we activate in-house property management, we have a profitable business unit day one. So we always knew we wanted to get into it. We just didn't want to get into it until we could kind of afford to get into it and do it really well. And and, and what I mean by that is we were able to hire really good people. We were in, able to invest in systems and processes that would allow them to kind of thrive. All right, folks. Appreciate you listening in. Appreciate the support. Appreciate you being with me. Let's talk about Tossable Digits. One of our affiliate partners with Alderon Ventures is Tossable Digits. It's similar to a Google Voice, except that times 10. Now you can use it for anything, sales, ad tracking, workflow, real estate, any sort of follow-up you need, phone calls, text messaging. The kicker here though, Tossable Digits allows you to get a local number in up to 60 different countries. There's no contracts anytime, cancel anytime. It's a fantastic platform, super easy to use. You got to check it out. Tossable digits. Learn more about it. AlderonVentures.com backslash affiliate dash partners. One more time. That is AlderonVentures.com backslash affiliate dash partners. A-L-D-E-R-A-A-N-V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S.com backslash affiliate dash partners. And now let's get you back to the show. And before we could do that, it just wasn't worth our time. Once you're in it, uh, one, it provides you a lot of data. Uh, you get to talk to your tenants daily. Um, you are seeing on the fly what ha- are happening to rents and what leases are getting signed. You're able to see what things are costing to maintain or provide CapEx. So you just kind of have this ongoing feedback loop. And for us, if you're a buyer of real estate, you're taking that feedback loop happening daily. And when you're thinking about buying the next building, your inputs into that model or your financial model are, you know, as good as it can get. It's, it's, you're not guessing at what things cost. It's, this is what things cost. So, um, you, you, you gain a lot from there. And then the last thing I would say, and I think this is just where we're headed, um, in every aspect of real estate, but really life now, this kind of hospitality driven nature is important. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody wants to be treated better. They want things to be better. And that often happens at the property management level. And I just think you'll see as time goes by, no matter what asset class you're in, the level of service and quote unquote hospitality you're able to provide tenants and people around a building are going to matter a lot. And, um, you know, we just want to be able to kind of control that as, as that kind of force takes hold. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine, you know, uh, the property management, like you mentioned, is really that that the face of the organization and a lot of times and can be the touch point, especially when things maybe are not going well and being able to to be that face and, and be able to, to have that conversation one on one as opposed to, you know, uh, trusting a third party to, to sort of be, you know, be the branding there. I think that's a really important, um, important dynamic. And, and like you said, it may be low margin. But, you know, the, the trust and, and the uh, sort of the other things that you glean from that from that relationship can, can really move the needle, I think, probably a lot more aggressively. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, would love to hear some of your um, thoughts on, you know, uh, right now, obviously, the world is in flux in regards to supply chain management and supply and demand in terms of consumer goods. Is there any corollary, corollary that you may be able to draw for us uh, when looking at your know, macro shopping trends in the country? Uh, uh, you know, correlated to class B industrial, the, um, the space. Are there, are there any correlations there in terms of, you know, the, the economy? Um, and then also you mentioned inventory. Um, you, uh, the way that you, you couch that, it seemed like there's not new class B industrial inventory coming online. It, it, am I right there? And if, if so, is that regulatory and just sort of what it takes to, to do that? Is it, is it lead time on build and just the, you know, the construction, again, going back to some of these logistical uh, supply constraints, what does what sort of the current environment look like? Um, you know, if someone's looking to get into space, uh, it, it seems like there's there's not an opportunity for, or, or less of an opportunity, I should say, maybe for a greenfield as opposed to like you were saying before, to go and buy something existing. Is that? Yeah, so I'll, I'll break that up. So I'll, I'll answer your last question kind of first. Um, when I say that, that there's no new supply coming on, the things that we buy are these kind of older buildings. Uh, they're multi-tenant. And you have to imagine, kind of they're denominated by when they were built. So call it the 1960s to the 1990s-ish. Well, you know, in a lot of these places, when those buildings were built, they were on the outskirts of town. But 40 years later, they're in the heart of, of, they're in the, heart of the city. And that's just because world's moved on and new things have been built. The things that you're seeing get built today are these large 250,000 to million square foot buildings that are kind of, uh, you know, very tall. They're, they're kind of built for a whole new type of business. But the things that we're buying, again, are kind of in the core. They're older. They don't have as high of clear heights. They have a shallower bay. They're just kind of different. And that's because the world of industrial was different back then. So there is stuff getting built, but it's not competing with the same um, tenants that we have. I mean, we have tenants as small as 1,500 square feet. We have tenants as large as a couple hundred thousand. But the stuff you're seeing get built, I think I, we, we drove by an Amazon facility the other day. It's almost 4 million square feet in one building. Um, that is a totally different style of industrial than what we're thinking about. So we'll start there. Um, I think the next thing that you were kind of alluding to was how is that, uh, was it kind of how is that lack of new supply impacting kind of demand with tenants or, or you want to clarify just a little bit so I answer correctly? Uh, yeah, no, that, that, that would be a great place. Uh, and then I guess the, I think the first question I asked and maybe the, the 1B to that is uh, I'm really curious. Um, I think it might have been uh, in a recent podcast of yours or maybe in the investor letter. You, um, you touched on this dynamic of consumer shopping trends and, and, and this space to, to support, you know, the, the warehouse space, to, uh, you know, to provide uh or, you know, to have the inventory available. Uh, was yeah. curious, um, you know, kind of, um, but yeah, you can you can tear into either one of those first. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll take it from there. So, um, you know, I'll break it down a, a couple ways, but if you're buying online, 
the, the retail location just is not as important. Um, you know, when you go on Amazon and you order something, you then do not care where that built, where that product came from. All you care about is it arrives on your doorstep in a timely fashion. Mm -hmm. But the truth of the matter is it came from a warehouse. That product was sitting in an industrial building. Well, let me, let's take one even step further back. It was made most likely in an industrial building. It was manufactured in an industrial building. Then it was likely shipped out and stored in a warehouse, which is another form of an industrial building. Then it might have gone to Amazon or to another warehouse where it was used and it was the final destination before it was distributed out to arrive at your house. And so what, what the common thread is there is that product always lived in an industrial building during its kind of life cycle before it arrived to you. Mm -hmm. um, the truth of the matter is that is going to happen more and more and more, not less and less and less, unless we believe that people all of a sudden are going to stop wanting to order online and can and start going back to stores more. You know, the other interesting thing that COVID brought us is a lot of the generation, the kind of boomer generation that was not as tech savvy, they were a huge swath of the population that wasn't ordering online yet. They were kind of forced to learn to do it. Um, and not to say that people aren't going to go back. Again, we said there's 83% is still brick and mortar sales, but that was another huge push of a, of a generation into the space. And so all that to be said, um, a, a big macro tailwind for industrial, if you want to think about it, it's most simple form is, is e-commerce going to grow or not grow in the coming years? And if you believe it's going to grow, then you can believe in industrial. The second thing that's kind of happening now, I didn't mention this last year in the annual letter, but it'll be in this year's, is America's run on a just-in-time inventory system for as long as we can remember. And just-in-time inventory usually means a, a, a company is holding 30, maybe 60 days of inventory, and they're con constantly replenishing it. Well, what you're seeing now in the market is companies saying, look, we, we can't depend on just 30 to 60 days anymore. We need 120 to maybe up to 180 days of inventory. And they're calling it just in case inventory. Mm. Businesses can no longer take this risk that they're not going to have product when their customers want to order it. There's no better way to lose a customer than to not have something available when they want it. So what you're seeing now, which is interesting, and we'll see how long this plays out, but I think it's going to be a structural shift for a lot of companies is rather than a company leasing, call it, you know, a hundred thousand uh, feet or even a thousand feet of warehouse, they're now leasing 3000 feet because they have to store all this additional inventory. Mm -hmm. And so you have this other, this, this other supply pinch where it's not just more businesses coming that are in, uh, leasing this industrial. It's the same business leasing three times the amount of space because of what's happened. And so, you know, we can get a little further into what I'm seeing in supply chains, um, but that is kind of the high level of, of, again, the thesis and why I don't think we're anywhere near the amount of supply that we need to maintain how consumers are interacting with the world today. Yeah, I do want to talk about that a little bit, and, and this may this may take us on a tangent or, or lead us in that direction. Um, but I'm curious, you know, what the corollary, you know, to, to what you just said there uh, that you're seeing in you know, the capital raising market, or if you want to answer it in the sense of, you know, I'm also curious, you know, how, 
how you've approached underwriting in you know, in this environment. Sort of what you know, what are the winds of change that you see in you know, the valuation of these you know these deals, and you know, coupled with the liquidity you know, uh, landscape that we have now, you know, has that. I guess is that a leading indicator for some of those supply chain things, or or, or is it maybe the other direction? Um, so right now, uh, everybody wants to to invest in and lend on industrial. Uh, we just went through a pandemic, and between like multi housing and industrial, it kind of proved to the world that no matter you know even in a pandemic, those were the two asset classes that you couldn't survive without. Mm-hmm. Um, there is record amounts of liquidity heading into these asset classes. And the way a lot of the big investors work is, you know, once they've kind of made a decision and allocation to something, they don't just change that tomorrow. That, that lasts for years. Um, you know, the, 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 the terms that you can get on debt in these asset classes are the best. So you have this like, you know, huge plethora of buyers and investors in the space, which naturally is going to drive pricing. But on the flip side of that, you have rent growth right now that we're seeing, you know, kind of unprecedented levels. I mean, typically in a normal season, you know, DFW market grows at three, two to three percent a year in rent growth. You know, we're seeing 20, 30, 40 percent rent increases right now across the board. Now, that's not going to be every year. But when you've been leasing something for four dollars a foot and next year you're leasing it for six dollars a foot, you see a 50 percent jump. Um, that is huge. And the way that real estate's valued, that creates a ton of value. And so you have all this capital, you have limited assets, you have the, the, the fundamentals of the actual tenant that's occupying these buildings. There's so many tailwinds at their back. We haven't even begun to talk about onshoring, all this onshoring that all these businesses that will be coming back to the mainland. Um Again, we hear about it, but that's going to take three or four years, five years, 10 years to actually see itself through the system. So there's all these things kind of happening. And the thing that I haven't mentioned yet, which I think is important to note, it's not just this e-commerce world that's leasing all this stuff. All of the companies that kind of maintain and service the built world, um, they occupy industrial facilities. Um, you know, if, if you're a home builder, uh, where is your roofer supplying his roofing material? Where is the framing being, um, the framing equipment, the framing materials being stored? Uh, medical providers, where are they storing all this medicine that they have and all these garments and all this stuff? All this stuff that, that we use in the day-to-day world, forget e-commerce for a second, you need industrial buildings to do. So, um there's just a lot of reason why we can all believe. And then the last flavor is if, if, you know, what we're doing specifically in Texas, we have population growth like crazy, strong business environment. I mean, the Texas story is so good. And, and I know that we're biased. We live here, but it is so good. I, I don't care what anybody says. Uh, Texas is an unbelievable story with people that are very happy to live here and enjoy being here. Uh, the trust in, you know, the government here. Uh, more so than other places. And it's just got a phenomenal, I think, runway ahead of it. As far as kind of like what's going on in the supply chain, um, you know, I'm not a a super expert on it, but because a lot of the supply chain kind of flows through the warehouses that we own, all I would say again is that people are are leasing more space and they're going to be focused on building bigger uh, inventory. 
that there's something called the bullwhip effect, which will be interesting to see how this plays out. But all this like inventory that is like stopped up in the system and we see it sitting on ships out in the coast, it's all been bought. Like customers have already bought this stuff. So we gave all this stimulus money out. Everybody's like cash rich right now. And they're just buying tons of shit more than they've ever done it. So as the stuff's unloaded, it's not like it's going to sit in a warehouse and then get sold. Like it's just headed straight to the customer. And so what you could end up seeing, and, and we're seeing inflation push, like inflationary pressures right now at, at again, historically high levels, is this idea that the bullwhip effect would say, okay, well, once all this product makes its way to the customer, they don't need to buy more of the product. They already got it. They're just like front loading all these orders. And so now companies are reacting and they're saying, well, oh my gosh, we have all this inventory sold. We need to order like five times more inventory. The question is, are people going to buy all that? They're, they've already bought it all. So if you bought deodorant for, you know, you usually buy deodorant one stick, you know, every two months, six times a year, because you were worried that you were out of it, you might've bought all six sticks at the first of the year. And now you don't have to buy any more the rest of the year. So what people, what we haven't figured out yet, and we'll see, is this effect of if, if all the inventory has already been bought and every company now is trying to double, triple up their inventory, is all that stuff going to get bought or is it just going to sit around because everybody pre-ordered everything, you know, over the last year? So it'll, it'll, it'll be interesting. Um, I think there's a huge case for some mass, massive deflationary pressures to come in the next couple of years as things work themselves out. All right. Thanks for listening to the show. Wanted to take a quick break and talk about one of our sponsors. As always, you can learn more information about our sponsors on the affiliate partners page on alderonventures.com. That is A-L-D-E-R-A-A-N-V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S.com, alderonventures.com. Layla Beds, they didn't want to just perfect the way you buy a mattress. Wanted to perfect the mattress itself as well. As we all know, mattresses are incredibly important. Getting a good night's sleep could not be more impactful to your day-to-day business, day-to-day life, family, friends, etc. They believe it's a place to rest, rejuvenate, and recharge both your body and your mind. And it's a battery recharger and launching pad for your best awake self. And you can't be the best awake self, best mom or bocce player, listener, boot camper, friend, boss, without the best sleep. And the best sleep unlocks the whole you, the better you, the you that's balanced, ambitious, present. So go check it out, alderonventures.com backslash affiliate dash partners. Layla Beds, they have some fantastic specials going on right now. $200 off a mattress, free pillows, and more. Check it out. And now back to the show. Has that... Um... You know, uh, to expound on that a little bit, you know, has that trend or, or those inflationary trends, has that really informed, you know, I, I'm not sure uh, what, uh, you know, the Fort Capital um, activity has been this year, sort of what the thesis is going into 2022 in terms of, you know, in terms of acquisition appetite, et cetera. What has that maybe done in, in uh, you know, for you guys on the underwriting side, um, you know, on, on the, on the development uh, path? Yeah. So... The thing about inflation is uh, obviously it makes the cost to build the next building more expensive. And so when we are buying things, we're often, because we're not developing new, what we're really asking ourselves is, 
what would it cost in theory if we had to build this new? What would it cost? And what are we buying it for? And we call that buying below replacement cost. Obviously, the more you can buy below replacement cost, uh, the better. And so on one end, buildings are becoming extraordinarily more expensive to build now than they were even, call it, two years ago. At the same time, yes, prices to buy existing assets are going up, but are they going up as quickly as the cost of construction? So we're always kind of monitoring that. And the second thing is, if I go borrow tomorrow $10 million at 3% and inflation keeps running, I'm essentially borrowing at negative interest. I'm basically borrow like the banks are getting negative money. They're giving me $10 million that stays constant, but the value of those dollars is going down by the day. So in theory right now, you would say like lever up and get as much money as you can because the 10 million I borrowed today is going to be worth a lot less 10 years from now, but the but it stays constant. Banks can't change that. And so right now in an inflationary environment, the, the, the more cheap long-term permanent debt you can put on your assets, you're almost getting free money. Um, you might be paying the bank 3%, but if inflation's at 6.8%, they're technically underwater on their loans the day they make them. And so this isn't a rant to go say, hey, everybody go lever the hell up. But you make this case that you're getting 50 cent dollars right now when you're borrowing money. Um, as long as inflation CPI is higher than the interest rate you're borrowing at. How long that can last, I don't know. But it's a good, it's also another reason why I would predict in 2022 we'll probably see some interest rate increases. Uh, yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Chris, I'd love to give you a couple minutes to uh, you know, uh, tell people where they can find you and follow up with you after the podcast. Um, you know, I'm surprised, actually, I didn't make, mention this at the very beginning, but I'm surprised you didn't like have like the Bromado avatar over your face or something or like have it on the wall. Um, uh, but uh, also, I'll have a couple of questions actually in the NFT space for you. But uh, why don't you, like I said, tell people where they can find you and follow up with you after the show. Yeah, I, I should have uh, I should have posted that. Um, my I was with my good buddy Nick that launched that project over the weekend. Um, it's it's new to me. It's it's fun to do. I'm still learning, but uh, it seems interesting. Um, you can visit us at. I have a podcast too. Uh, it's called the Fort Podcast, and we talk about real estate and we talk with business owners in multiple industries, but primarily real estate. Um, you can visit us at our website, www.fortcapitallp.com. You can see what we're up to, check out our portfolio, sign up to be an investor, things of that nature. Um, yeah, or you can follow me on Twitter at Fort Worth Chris uh, on Twitter. So those are kind of the three spots that you'll probably get the most from us. Um, yeah, I would love to connect with folks that, that are listening. No, that's, that's, that's fantastic. Uh, Chris, I'd love to uh, expound. On, so one of the other podcasts that I have is called uh, The Why Drive. I'm uh, I'm pretty pretty in tune and love to talk about sort of the, the passion behind why somebody does something. And really, I think that that organic passion and that drive can a lot of time inform, you know, uh, the mission and, and really, you know, uh, put, you know, put a direction behind something. Um, and I'm fascinated at the just the dynamics or, or what it takes to create a culture in an office, um, you know, and, and you um in reading your investor letter from, from last year, you talk about the, you know, these four core concepts of um, resiliency, or I guess it's resilient, agile, accountable, and driven. 
love it for you to talk about sort of what informed those and, and why you picked those pillars. And, and also, um, if, you, if you don't mind, talk to me a little bit about you know, how you go about coaching that into your team and some of the ways that, that, you know, that is sort of evidence itself in the day-to-day. Yeah. So um, at, at a high level, the, the culture of a company at the end of the day can be boiled down to what is a company willing to accept from its employees. And you often, you know, every team has all these great players, but the players that aren't doing so great, what are you allowing to go on in the company? And what happens in life, I think, is that we tend to gravitate towards the edges. So there'll be a lot of people that want to be part of the great, you know, the great part of the culture. But then there's a lot of people that would say, well, if we can get away with this here, you'll have a lot of people start pushing the bar to see what can we get away with. Mm -hmm. And so what you often find is, um, you know, a great culture just sets the bar really high and a bad culture allows for a lot of shitty things to happen at the business on a consistent basis. And what happens is it just gets worse over time. It doesn't get less bad. Uh, you, You kind of, the more you allow something to happen, humans by nature will find ways to push their boundaries. So if we start there, so when you go to resilient, agile, accountable, driven, what we're telling our team is these, well, two things. When some people start a business and I fell into this camp, you don't really have core values. Like a single founder can have some core values. But the truth is until you've kind of built a team and you've seen how a team works together, what you don't realize is not that the core values change, but they kind of evolve over time. And Mm -hmm. so once we got to a a larger size, we really looked at our team and said, what do we all share in common and what's kind of been inherently baked in? And that was kind of a team effort that we came out with those four uh, core values. And when you're going to recruit, you're, it's very easy now to say, like, will the person that I'm recruiting or bringing onto the team, are they being held to these standards? And when you're doing one-on-one review or you're, you're you know, seeing how someone's doing that's already been hired, just go down the, the, the list. Are, are they resilient? Yes. Are they agile? Yes. Are they accountable? Yes. Are they driven? Yes. If not, why? What's going on? But if you get, if half your team is not driven and not accountable, then those are just words on a page. They're not fundamentally kind of core values. And then the last part of kind of getting it baked into the culture is when the people that you hire naturally uh, relate to those core values, you're not having to like train people how to be accountable. They're already those type of people. So what it really does at the end of the day is the more people you get on the team that are practicing those values, when somebody joins the fight that doesn't match that, they naturally kind of self-select out or it naturally kind of repels away the folks that wouldn't be there and it attracts folks that would be there. And the last thing is leadership is you got to keep beating the drum. You got to keep talking about these things. The, as soon as you as a leader are tired of talking about something, most of the people that have been hearing you are just starting to listen. And so it just has to be a consistent part of your messaging. Um, but Again, that's what's important to us. And they aren't they, they shouldn't be words that everybody has to like be someone they're not to live up to. 
it they should already be there because they're those things, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. That, that's fantastic. And I think that really sort of speaks to going coming full circle. I think that speaks to you know a lot of the things that I see from you on, on Twitter is it, just that, you know, that ability and desire to to be you know, uh, the thought leader but but it's it's in a it's in a presented in a way that's very approachable um and you know i'm really appreciative that, that you came on the podcast today i know that you and i have not had a chance to interact but you know before today but you know uh, really enjoyed the conversation some, some fantastic stuff i know that we're running a little bit uh, long on time so i want to make sure that you you get out of here uh, and uh, get on the rest of your day so uh, really appreciate uh, the time chris would love to uh, maybe do a follow-up episode sometime uh next year and I wish you the best of luck in uh, you know in 2022. Hope that you guys continue the path and continue to grow. And uh, you know all, all great things. Thanks so much, Ben. It was a pleasure to be on the podcast. And yeah, we should we should do another one next year and have a great holiday season. And and I look forward to kind of connecting more in the future. It was a, it was a pleasure. Absolutely, that sounds fantastic. And uh, for those of you that want to follow uh, Chris on uh, Twitter, it is at Fort Worth Chris, and I am at underscore Ben Samuels. We're going to go ahead and sign off. And you guys have a great rest of your day. All right. And that is a wrap. I am your host, Ben Samuels. This has been another episode of Coffee and Liquidity. Appreciate the support. Appreciate you guys showing up. Go ahead and check out alderonventures.com for more information about what we've got going on and future episode releases. Thanks, guys.